2.99. Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Yeah? Visit PellaWI.com. The Wisconsin State Fair is here. Bringing you the sights and sounds live from the fair. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Just going through the whole process of opening up all the things I need to open up to do the show. They're texting me this. Verify. I think we're all set. Um, this is the, the final Friday of the State Fair. It is a wonderful day out here. Oh, and we have, I, I say this all the time, it is true, we have a particularly attractive group of people coming out to watch the show today. And people stop by all during the course of it. I was out just a couple minutes ago taking pictures with folks, and a number of friends stop by. So if you happen to be out at the State Fair, come by our booth during the breaks if i don't have to do live reads and stuff i'd love to come out and say hi and thank you for listening to the program for all these years again uh it's the sun has disappeared at least temporarily but there's no rain in the forecast it is a very very mild day out here lots of room lots of stuff going on and you know there's it's just absolutely outstanding so come on out enjoy yourselves we have a lot of ground to cover on today's program and as i was saying earlier we've got a couple giveaways it's interesting because during the the one o'clock hour, our friends at Sister Bay Furniture have made available to us um, two chairs, two Hyannis rocking chairs in driftwood from Sister Bay Furniture. We're going to be giving them away during the 1 o'clock hour. Then the 2 o'clock hour, we've got Pop Culture Corner and, of course, our, as we always do, our Palermo's Pizza giveaway. But a lot of stuff to do before that. I want to start with the ongoing saga of the United States Department of Justice versus former President Donald Trump. Now, on this program yesterday, we, we carried the delayed press conference of the Attorney General Merrick Garland, where he said that he was the one that, that authorized the, the search warrant um, for Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago, and that as far as he was concerned, he wanted to make the search warrant public, and you know he was putting the, the burden on President Trump to say whether he would agree to do that or not. That, it was one of those things that I think was, what Garland said was I would describe true but not accurate. Um, and, and I want to explain exactly what's going on, and then we're going to use that as the launching point for a broader discussion, because there's not too many places in the media that I think have explained what is happening in, in a fashion so you understand what's really going on and what the parties are, are really saying. And I give you this as a perspective of somebody who spent the first 12 years of his professional career in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I have probably drafted well in excess of 250 search warrants for all sorts of documents. As I have been saying since the search warrant was first executed on Monday, the, the, what is unusual about this, not only is that it's a search warrant that is being directed at, at a former president of the United States, that that's number one, but number two, in what we would call white-collar cases, this is to, to do raids is extremely 
unusual. And, and Garland acknowledged that in his remarks. I mean, it's it's one thing if you're going into a drug house and you're looking for stuff that could be easily disposed of, you know, guns and drugs and money and things like that. Well, well, yeah, then, then that's why you do a search warrant and you kick in the door and you try to surprise people before they, they can destroy that. In, in some public corruption cases, it is possible that you would do search warrants because you believe that there's evidence. Maybe there's cash of the payoffs that are sitting in people's offices. Normally, though, in what we would call white-collar cases, what you do is you contact the attorney for the person who's under investigation, and in this case, that the Trump people knew that they were under investigation, and you say, these are the records we need, and you give them a grand jury subpoena, and you say you have until X amount of time to produce them, and if you don't produce them, then you get an order from the judge holding somebody in contempt. That, that's what you do. To, to execute search warrants in situations like this, I'm telling you, it is just it is rare, which is one of the reasons I, I'm very, very curious to see the justification for doing this. We have examples, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, in, in Wisconsin of what I think was gross prosecutorial overreach, if not misconduct. Going back a few years, you will remember when the State Department of Justice and John Chisholm were running this, this witch hunt investigation into whether Scott Walker's campaign was colluding with some of these, you know, private uh, organizations and whether there was cooperation and things like that. And you remember that, that they had the State Department of Justice showed up with armed agents and raided the homes of some of these political advisors and political consultants. They showed up with guns at 6 o'clock in the morning to, to seize computers and to seize records. That was absolutely ridiculous. It was done solely for the purpose, in my opinion, of trying to intimidate the, the, the people involved. We're going to scare you. This is the type of thing we can do. We can show up and we can take all your stuff at 6 o'clock in the morning, so you better cooperate. That, I think, was gross prosecutorial overreach, if not misconduct. Now, I'm not saying that that's the same thing here, but you see that this stuff happens. So anyways, Garland holds the press conference yesterday, and he says, all right, because of the public interest, I, I want to make available the search warrant. All right, well, let me just explain how this works, because he did not do, I think, he didn't even attempt to explain what he was really talking about, and the mainstream media just didn't do a very good job of it otherwise. Here, here's the deal when you get a federal search warrant. There is the cover sheet to the search warrant. The cover sheet is actually the warrant itself. And a lot of the stuff is pre-printed in. And it's just kind of a fill-in-the-blank sort of thing. And, and you put in the case caption, and you put in, you know, what the date is, and you put in, you know, again, what you're, you're looking to try to find. And that's the cover sheet. That is the search warrant itself. Attached to the search warrant is a search warrant affidavit. And what happens is you will have an FBI agent, a DEA agent, uh, you know, whatever, who will come in and will sit down and working with an assistant U.S. attorney, they will draft an affidavit. The affidavit is where you lay out all the information you have, the probable cause to support the search warrant, which is, again, the cover sheet. It is the affidavit that, that tells you everything you need to know. Now, it's interesting because I don't think I, I was very unclear when I, I listened to Garland talk yesterday, and I haven't seen it reported very much, but the, the New York Times, and I assume that New York Times is closer to speed dial to Garland's Justice Department than I am, the New York Times said that this motion to release 
is not directed at the affidavit. It's just the implication is it's just a cover sheet. Well, the cover sheet doesn't tell you anything. If you want to know whether this is a legitimate search warrant, what the urgency was, whether there's probable cause to support it, what you need to do is you need to have the affidavit. And that could be one page or five pages or ten pages. It's the sworn document that establishes the probable cause. And at least my understanding is that that's that's they're not talking about releasing that. So yeah, you can release the cover sheet search warrant. You can release what they call the return, which is the stuff that they took. It will only be described in general terms. And, and I don't know that that's going to tell you anything. We're not going to be able to judge the legitimacy of this. Was it a witch hunt? Was it not a witch hunt? Was this necessary? Was it not necessary? Till you actually get a hold of the search warrant affidavit. And again, I'm willing to be corrected, but everything that I have read says, suggests to me that that's not what they are seeking to unseal. And by the way, Trump's attorneys and Trump does not have that. They have the cover sheet, the, the search warrant itself, but they don't have the underlying supporting documents. Now, maybe maybe they're going to release everything, but that's certainly not the way I read the motion. But the point is, for everybody out there thinking, okay, well, 3 o'clock today, if they release this, we're going to know all this information, we're going to have this insight as to whether this happened or not and, and what the justification was. I don't think so. Could be wrong, but I do not think so. But that then leads to the larger point. The, the, it's very, very clear that the investigation centers around former President Trump continuing to possess records that he was entitled to have access to when he was the president. Right. So that's it. It, Nobody would argue that when he was president, he didn't have the right to have access to these documents. So it's not like he suddenly broken into CIA offices and, and taken files that he is not entitled to have. I do not know why files would be at Mar-a-Lago, just like I don't know why Hillary Clinton had stuff, you know, that, at, at her home in Chappaqua or whatever it is there. I, I, if, if I was the president of the United States, I would not be hauling secret documents or, around and putting them in different residences. Oh, okay, but, but I guess that's the type of thing that ends up happening. So it's not a question of did he break in and does, did he, like, steal secret documents and stuff. It's does he possess documents that he was entitled to possess but has not for whatever reason, returned them. I don't think there's any evidence or any suggestion that he's negotiating to sell documents to a foreign power or something like that. It's just, you know, as as part of records that he was entitled to take and keep, he's got some that at least the theory is that he's not entitled to continue to have. All right, so that's the backdrop. This isn't some clandestine, we're we're breaking in and we're stealing top secret documents or anything like that. It's, is he entitled to have these documents and should they, and the answer to that is yes, should they have been returned when he left office? And so that's what the ultimate question is. I I have to admit, last night I was, so I'm channel surfing, I'm, I'm watching some of the commentary on this, and I understand that Donald Trump invokes all sorts of passions. There are people who love him. There are people who just absolutely hate him. If you're a regular listener of this program, you know I'm kind of, I'm very pretty much agnostic on this. I thought he was a good president. I thought his behavior after the election was absolutely appalling. And I candidly would, would like to see him enjoy the rest of his retirement and kind of get out of politics. But that that's just me. But I was listening to all this conversation, and, and the question seems to be that there are people who really believe this is it. We've got him. They need to prosecute him for keeping records that he wasn't entitled to keep. This is the thing. He needs to be sent to prison five, ten years. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we don't send... 
people who steal cars, lead police on high-speed chases, and hit and kill other people. We don't put them in prison for five or, or ten years. But there's people saying, this is it. We've got to put Donald Trump in prison. To which my response is, what do you really think that that is going to accomplish? And what do you think that is really going to do to this country? Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us assume that this case is what I believe the case is, that he is in possession of records that he was entitled to have in the first place, is no longer entitled to keep. That in and of itself, do you really think that's a basis for sending somebody to prison? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. WTMJ is broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Come by and see your favorite WTMJ personality. Steve Scafidi was just here. I'm Jeff Wagner, John McCure, and Melissa Barkley. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Sister Bay Furniture. It's the Wisconsin State Fair on News Radio 620 WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I've... I've tried to explain as, as best I can what is going on here. And I understand whenever we're talking about Trump, there is this incredible passion. He's awful. Somebody says, of course you put him in prison. He tried to stage a coup. Well, all right, you know, earth to texture, this, he's, this is not an investigation about whether he's guilty of treason or something like that. Maybe there's one of those out there. This is about whether or not he has records that he had access, legitimate access to but should have left in, in the White House. That, that's, that's what this is about. Do you send somebody, seriously, do you send a former president of the United States to prison for that? Um, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. No, I don't think he should go to prison for that. However, he did get a subpoena, and it seems that he's got a disregard for laws. And so what I'd like to see is have them charge him with a felony. If they convict him, fine, give him a $100 fine and put it on his record so he can't run again because we need presidents that want to follow the law and set a better example. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the call, Scott. Well, I mean, see, there's all sorts of things. Look, and, and I, I don't, I don't know whether he has records. I, 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 I would hope that you you would not search the residence of a former president unless you had pretty good evidence. Number one, that that they had records, and, and number two, that they had exhausted all reasonable methods to try to recover the, those records. Because again, I mean, I have some people saying, well, it's possible he could be destroying the records. I, I, I doubt that. It's it's. I don't don't know why he would keep these records. Maybe there's a dispute over whether he's entitled to keep them or not. There's some personal papers that you are, and I'm, I don't know what we're involved with here. But yeah, the, the typical response would be, okay, if you're ignoring a subpoena, for example, you're not completely complying with it. You take him in front of a judge. You get hel- him held in, in contempt in order to ordered to comply with the subpoena and fired or something like that. But this idea that we're going to, you know, put him in prison. I mean, you know, give me a, a break. Jeff, I heard on the radio this week that Barack Obama took five million documents with him when he left the White House. Certainly a few of them could have been considered questionable. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I mean, people need to understand that, that presidents 
are entitled to take records with them. Now, there, there's limitations on that. Jeff, do you put him in jail? Absolutely not. Unless they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt illegal intent, Hillary had the same issues with conducting official State Department on her personal laptop and emails, which, if I remember, had classified information on them. Reckless, of course it was reckless. Yeah, and this is not presented as a, as a, as a defense of Donald Trump in the sense of if he has records that he's not entitled to, they should go back to the National Archives. But but this idea that we're now going to take this statute and we're going to criminalize it. I mean, my, my response is you got to dial this back. This is this is the frothing at the mouth sort of crazy aspect of this stuff. We're talking about a dispute over who is entitled to keep certain records. And I'm not saying Trump is right. And I have no doubt that Trump um takes an imperial sort of position with regard to some stuff. Jeff, I agree that unless there are some very surprising revelations, I'm not seeing prison time in Trump's future for mishandling of, you know, documents. Do you think all the Republicans who chanted lock her up will take the same stance on Trump? Um, Yes. In any case, if he got charged in Milwaukee County, Chisholm would let him out on $100 bail. Well, um, maybe not. Jeff, try totally ignoring a subpoena yourself and see what happens. I'll tell you what would happen. I I would get a notice. There would be a hearing. It would be a contempt hearing. And then you would be fined or something would happen. But as a general rule, I can pretty much guarantee you if you ignore a subpoena, you're not going to have federal agents show up as a step one and and search your place. That's why I, I think there needs to be, uh, again, we, we need to see what's going on here, but this is an extraordinary thing that, that's going on there. Um, and I, I guess I, I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder, what is the purpose of this? Is it to try to seek the return of documents and we're using the criminal justice system in this place? Are we trying? And some people are suggesting, well, you know, maybe this is just ultimately this plan to try to, you know, discourage him from running again and, and, and make it clear the different types of things that he presents. Well, OK, if if that's the case, I think there's many Republicans who might believe that the Justice Department is, is doing a is doing a, a service um, because there's a lot of Republicans who I think would like to see that, um, you know, Donald Trump kind of go away. Jeff, it's kind of funny that all this is happening before the election. Needless to say, I do not care for him, but I believe the whole thing was done politically. Well, that's an interesting point because the Justice Department does have very, very strict rules. And, and those rules, remember back in 2016, there was this huge controversy in, in the months preceding an election, you do not do things which have the potential to impact elections. And that's where Comey got into all the trouble by, first of all, clearing Hillary Clinton and then then saying, well, you know, no, um, she really wasn't cleared. And now there's this new stuff that we need to investigate. It's why the Department of Justice you know, needs to, to stay off of this, which is why I've been saying all along, forget about the disclosure of the search warrant. If that happens this afternoon, that's not really going to tell you anything. That will just tell you what they were looking for. And there'll be a statement saying uh, the judge finds probable cause to believe that these different things there. What you need to see to decide whether or not what's really going on in this investigation and whether or not it was really necessitated by things. What what you need in that situation is you need to see the search warrant affidavit. And until until that's released, there's not going to be transparency. 
But one one final comment on, on the Trump search warrant thing, because I think there's been such a lousy job done collectively of explaining what, what's going on. Somebody just texted me saying, Trump could release all this. He's in possession of all this stuff. He could release it. No. Here, here's the deal. What, as I was trying to explain, there is a search warrant. The search warrant itself is a cover sheet. And then the search warrant is supported by an affidavit. That affidavit that establishes the probable cause does not accompany the, the search warrant. So my I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts here that the Trump people do not have that underlying affidavit. They've got the cover sheet that says this is the search warrant. They've got a general receipt that says what we took, six boxes, you know, marked, whatever. They've got a general receipt that the stuff hasn't been inventoried, so they don't sit there on the spot and inventory every document they take. So, yes, Trump has this, the cover page he has the he'll have a, a generalized receipt but he doesn't have the full return document i don't think that's been returned yet in detail listing everything that was taken and i'm I, he doesn't have the search warrant affidavit so he, he, you know that's that's the thing once that search warrant affidavit is made public, then we can kind of assess what is going on. But I don't think that's going to happen today because I don't think the Justice Department wants it to happen today. Get that passport ready. WTMJ is sending you on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to see the green and gold play in London. You could qualify for this amazing trip to London, including airfare, hotel stay, transportation, and two tickets to the game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tune in to Wisconsin's Morning News every day at 710 for your chance to win. It's the Great Britain Giveaway, only on 620 WTMJ. For official contest rules, visit WTMJ.com. I I understand that in some respects the the November elections are coming up very, very quickly. So it's, what, November 2nd or something. So you've got, you know, whatever's left of August, September, October. So less less than three months. At the same time, it's going to be a a long time, particularly if you're a conservative. The the coverage of these races is just – it's been appalling to begin with, and it's going to get worse and worse and and worse. The story in the Journal Sentinel – Wisconsin Democrats united while Republicans are still healing after a hard-fought GOP governor primary. And it all talks about how oh, the, the the Democrats are on a unity tour and the Wisconsin, we don't know what the Republicans are going to do. It, it's just, you, you understand that some of these reporters want so badly to see Mandela Barnes win and want so badly to see Tony Evers win that it's like, okay, what story can, can we try to promote that's going to, I don't know, advance these different causes? I, I mean, I'm here to tell you that I understand that in the Wisconsin gubernatorial primary, there were lots of people who supported Rebecca Clayfish, and there were a lot, there were more that, that supported Tim Michaels. But as, as we've been talking about repeatedly on the issues, there, I don't think there's much, there's one whit of difference between the two of them. And for all this notion, that, oh, the Republicans are really split. Like if you read the story in the paper today, that's nonsense. And, and I guess that's one of my jobs, just to say it's it's nonsense. I understand you're always disappointed when your chosen candidate doesn't win. But this idea that there's anybody out there or any significant number of people out there who aren't going to, who voted for Rebecca Clayfish, who aren't going to vigorously support Tim Michaels, anybody who does that, who thinks that, is sort of smoking that, that stuff that's still illegal in the state of Wisconsin. The Republican Party is incredibly united. And I understand that maybe it makes a good story and maybe it helps you know support the base and maybe it supports the ideology of some of the 
reporters. But, I, I mean, j- just yesterday, you had all the different candidates. Um, they were at State Fair. Matter of fact, I think John McCure had Tim Michaels on together with Tommy Thompson. I, I think the Republican Party in Wisconsin is incredibly united. Now, I understand that there's splits over how much time should we spend worrying about trying to decertify the 2020 election. But I think you see a Republican Party that is very, very united in its mission to, number one, re-elect Ron Johnson, and number two, defeat Tony Evers with Tim Michaels. And this idea that, well, Republicans are still healing. Anybody who writes a story like that well, just doesn't know very many Republicans or is trying to advance their own particular agenda. All right, I have an agenda. Part of my agenda is to try to make this community safer for myself, my loved ones, my friends, and you. And I'm just sick and tired of these stories that happen on a daily basis. And we could do three or four of these stories a day, but time permitting, we only do one. Here's the story from yesterday. I-41 chase, Milwaukee crash, bullets thrown from window. All right, this is uh, Fox 6. Three people were arrested after a high-speed chase on Interstate 41 and a crash in Milwaukee, the Wisconsin State Patrol said Thursday, August 11th. Investigators said the driver was going 116 miles per hour and bullets were thrown from the window. It started when troopers tried pulling the driver of a black Nissan Rogue over for speeding on I-41 up in Germantown, near midnight. So, I mean, picture this. It's I-41 up by Germantown. They tried to pull the guy over for speeding. The driver kept going, reaching speeds of 116 miles an hour. 116 miles an hour. As the Rogue barreled down the interstate, Wisconsin State Patrol officials said someone inside threw something out of the window. Investigators searched the area near I-41 and Maple Road in daylight using drones and metal detectors, finding bullets in the roadway. All right, so they're, they're driving like a bat out of you-know-where, trying to get away from the cops, 116 miles an hour, and they're throwing crap out the window, including, in this case, bullets. It got so bad that the troopers called off the chase. The guy was driving, and I'm saying guy, but it could be a woman, was driving so recklessly that they, they couldn't, they, did, they didn't feel, hey, we can't continue this chase at 114 miles an hour. So they, they begged off. The driver continued to flee for 14 miles, losing control near I-41 and Burley, kind of up by, what, in the Mayfair Shopping Center exit, where the car went off the road, hitting a sign before coming to rest in the ditch. Milwaukee police and deputies took three people into custody, noting two female adults, one male, ready for the dazzling detail, and a baby on the scene. Okay, so, all right, it's 1230 at night, car driving 116 miles an hour, leads the cops on a high-speed chase going so fast that they have, they have to bail at a little bit because, you know, they're, they're worried for everybody's safety. The car continues to drive away in that reckless fashion. Ultimately, driver, I don't know if it's whether one of the women or the, the man, loses control, smashes into a sign. It is a miracle that they are not dead, but it's two women, it's one male, and it is a baby. Now, what do you want to bet? Just, it's a baby. It's a baby in the car where they're doing this. All right. Now, there's a lot of stuff that you can say about this, but this is the type of stuff that happens on a daily basis. It's just a daily basis.
basis. Just change the speeds a little bit, maybe change the ages of the people involved, throw in a baby every now and then, because you have these people that just do not care. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They don't care about anything. They think they are above the law. They think the rules don't apply. I don't know if the Nissan Rogue was stolen. I, I don't know. I don't know whether there was other contraband. Did they throw other stuff out of the car that they didn't find? All I know is that you have people who endangered people's lives. And my guess is for all these people, it's not their first time at the rodeo. You, you know that they've probably been involved in the criminal justice system before. So where are you going, Jeff? Well, the governor of the state of Wisconsin has made one of his planks that he wants to reduce the prison population in half. I think he's nuts. Matter of fact, I think that we are, at least in southeastern Wisconsin, we, we have to go exactly the opposite way. We need to double the prison population. We need to triple the prison population. And it starts with mandatory minimum sentencing for things like this. The person who was driving that car, fleeing the cops, 116 miles an hour, my guess is, again, a criminal record, don't know for sure. I would be shocked if the person had a driver's license. I would be shocked if they had insurance. But I don't care. You flee the cops at 116 miles an hour, and you know what I think should happen? No probation. You do not pass go. You do not collect $100 or 200 bucks. You go to jail. You go directly to jail, and then you stay there for... I'd say three years is a starting point. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is that too harsh? Or is it time to say enough is enough? We are sick of having our safety endangered by these reckless idiots who do not care about anybody and are willing to do anything. I think running from the cops at a high rate of speed should carry mandatory jail sentences. And if that means we've got to build more prisons to house their sorry butts, I say build more prisons to house their sorry butts. 855-616-1620. We discuss. She's got One of our, our texters says, oh, well, who's going to pay for these prisons? I'm going to pay for them. You're going to pay for them. The way, governments, the way government throws around money and misspends money on so many p- peculiar priorities, yeah, I, I think public safety, I think the majority of people would say, yeah, that, that, that's a good idea. And we're sick of convicted felons who get caught with guns, walking away with, with no consequences. We're sick of people driving 117 miles an hour on the freeway with a baby in the car, eluding police. We're sick of them just being turned back loose on the streets with no insurance, no driver's license, and no consequences at all to do it again two days later. We're sick of people who steal cars, two, three, four cars in a day, get turned loose within, I don't know, three hours, and the next day they're out stealing two, three, four cars a day again, and they don't go to jail until finally driving 95 miles an hour in one of those stolen cars they go down the wrong way cross an intersection hit and kill somebody oh then we say we're going to send them to prison my point is mandatory minimum sentences the judges aren't doing their job the da's especially here in southeastern wisconsin aren't doing their jobs and yeah i understand we, we need more space to put people in prison i'm saying cool with that i'm good with that i am sick of being held hostage by the criminal element and it's a relatively small number of people that commit the vast majority of crimes but how much more of this are we going to put up with and 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 yeah i i would love to see tim michaels come out and one of his platforms says governor evers wants to reduce the prison population by half that is nuts 
It is absolutely nuts. It is tone deaf on what's going on in our cities. What I want to do is I'm willing to double or triple the prison population, and this is what I want. I want to guarantee felons with guns go to prison if you're caught with a gun again. I want to guarantee that people who are driving 115 miles an hour fleeing from the cops, yeah, I, I want them to be going to jail or prison, I, and, and maybe they'll get the idea. Maybe incarceration will give them the message, but, but even if it doesn't, at least it gets them off the streets for a while and protects some of us. Bob, Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I, I, I believe we've reached a tipping point, and I don't think we can. Uh, these people are irredeemable. I mean, this kind of behavior is just, it's off the charts crazy, and they just have no regard for human life or people's people's rights. And uh, I'm, some of these crimes, I, I know this wasn't a driving crime, but when the uh, teenagers had the shootout on 65th and Silver Spring because there's a fight started, right. it's like four blocks from the cop shop. They don't they don't fear that, you know. They their whole demeanor has just become. Yeah. They don't care about society. They, they, they don't care about anything. Well, Bob, you remember there a, a couple weeks ago there was that. Um, that that thing released on the the, the documentary on the, the Kia boys and the guy goes down and he's interviewing you know all the these gangbanger car thieves and they're saying exactly what you said they say well you know we we, we don't care our, our chances of getting caught we, we don't think we're going to get caught and if we do get caught well you know worst take the thing that happens is you're in juvie for a, a day or two then you're back out on the street stealing more cars there it the system has just become a joke to the criminal element and and maybe we need to say that the rest of us are serious about this stuff. It's like Gotham City, you know. It's like the, <laughs> the the Kia boys and these gangsters with guns are just running around and doing whatever they want, and they don't care right. about anybody whatsoever. And we have to we have to stop this because they, we're not going back to the uh, twenty years ago anytime soon. You know, we're not coming back to that. You know, we have to react yep. to this. No, Bob. Thanks for call. You're right, and I, I, I what, what I do, and I try not to sound like a broken record on on this on this this program. But when when I sit down and I prepare the show for any given day, I, I I'm not exaggerating. There are I, I on any given day I will have five to ten new criminal cases whether it's it's one like this 115 miles an hour with a baby in the car you know fleeing the cops or you know the, there'll be the the shootings or this it, it, you you can just pick one and and it's the same pattern over and over again it might be different defendants but it's the same pattern over and over again and and you know we're just turning people loose to do this again and again and again and the answer i it's, it's i understand this liberal mindset is oh we we can't we can't imprison our way out of it. Well, we can't not imprison our, our way out of it. We have had th- this attitude over the last 20 or 30 years of permissiveness where we we take into account the concerns about the criminal and at the same time in being concerned about the criminal and that that's all well and good and how can we get this person rehabilitated or whatever, we lose sight of the, the rest of us out there who become victims and it just infuriates me and I get, imp- I get input, I get lots of texts, I get lots of emails, I get phone calls from people who have been crime victims or who have families who have been crime victims. And I'm not talking about the murder cases, but I'm talking about, gee, I, I was robbed. I was robbed at gunpoint. Gee, my car was stolen. This is the 
third time my car has been stolen out of my driveway. I'm so frustrated. My home has been broken into. You, you have all this stuff going on, and the, the truth of the matter is we are starting to lose control of the streets. I do not blame the police for this. I, I do think the court system has a lot to blame, but we need a sea change in attitude, and I think it starts with the law. Let's just, and that, that's my first solution, let's start putting in mandatory minimum penalties. Let's bypass some of these judges who are concerned about getting reelected and want to curry favor with defense attorneys or whatever, and let's just stand up and say, all right, there's certain crimes, this is the deal. You commit this crime, you are going to go to prison. And it's not that hard. You are a felon. You are not allowed to possess a gun. So you've already been convicted of something. You get caught with a gun. You go to prison for three years. Uh, what, what is so hard about that? Don't tell me, oh, no, it was just it was just unfortunate. No, you're a felon. You know you're not supposed to have a gun. You've got a gun. Boom. You get caught. You go to prison. You flee the police at 115 miles an hour. That is a conscious decision you make. I mean, up until a couple years ago, we didn't even chase people that did that anymore in Milwaukee. How crazy was that? But now we just simply say, look, here's the deal. You make that decision that for whatever reason, you are going to run from the cops in that particular fashion in danger like they had a baby in the car for god's sake they had a baby in the car you run from the cops you know and when you get caught you are going to prison now i don't know what what's right whether it's a year or two years or three years or where pick a pick a date but we just say we've had enough of this these are mandatory penalties we're not going to allow da's to dismiss these charges we're not going to allow soft on crime judges to say well okay we're going to give you another chance nuts to that what do you mean another chance? You hit the accelerator and flee cops throwing bullets out all over the freeway? You don't get another chance. Or at least you don't get another chance for a year or two or three years. It is that simple. And I'd love to see Tim Michaels make that a centerpiece of his campaign. Oh, he can't do that. They'd be too reactionary. Bull. That's where the majority of people are. We're sick of being held hostage by the criminal element around here who runs wild in the streets with no fear of anybody or anything. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Wisconsin State Fair is here, bringing you the sights and sounds live from the fair. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Well, one of the things I love about being at the Wisconsin State Fair is you you never know who might walk by the, the booth giving me a chance to go out and try to wrangle them in. And it is my great pleasure now to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. Recently, I guess it was, you know, we, we knew it was going to be a foregone conclusion, but uh, he is the Republican candidate for re-election to the U.S. Senate in November. Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Jeff, it's great to be here. Five and oh. <laughs> there you there, there, there you go. Okay. I, I, by the way, I, let me just let me just start. Your opponent in the election is going to be Mandela Barnes. I was I was on my high horse in the last segment about out of control crime, and there was a speed another one of these high speed chases on the freeway last night at 117 miles an hour. When Mandela Barnes was in the state legislature in 2016, he authored a bill which would have eliminated cash bail and prevented prosecutors from using the nature of the crime that somebody was charged with as a basis to hold them. And he's still doubling down on that. You'd think maybe after he saw what low bail, no bail did in terms of releasing the Waukesha Christmas Parade murderer, right. maybe reconsider that. You know, Listen, pe- people can be wrong. You can have bad ideas, but you'd, you'd think maybe based on the evidence he'd, he'd back away, but no, he's doubling down on it. Now, you know, what, what's interesting about the race now is uh, 
the, the Democrat elite, I mean, the, the power brokers, selected the candidate for Wisconsin right. Democrats. Would, uh, if I were a little bit more moderate Wisconsin Democrat, I'd be kind of scratching my head and not particularly happy about it. I mean, what do they have no respect for voters? So they chose the most radical left candidate to be their nominee. And so now we'll have to compare you know, his record versus mine. I, I think there's a pretty, pretty clear contrast. I mean, somebody like myself who, who actually loves this country, you know, I, I don't think the founding was awful. You know, we're not a perfect nation, but we're something pretty rare and precious. But Mandela Barnes thinks it's awful. Um, you know, certainly the abuse of the state patrol. I mean, so he, you know, he's all about abolishing ICE. You know, I imagine he right. signed up for the defund police movement. I know he's supported by defund police groups. But at the same time, um, uses the state patrol to the tune of almost $600,000 to chauffeur him around various places when he became lieutenant governor. Um, now, we'll be pointing out his record, but it's a pretty clear choice for Wisconsinites. Uh, uh, the other thing that's on the ballot is truth versus lies and distortion. It's what I've been battling for the last two years, quite honestly, is uh, you know Democrats have been lying about me, been distorting my record, and then, of course, their, their buddies, their allies in the mainstream media, uh, who are advocates for the, the left uh, as well, uh, they've just been parroting and carrying the Democrats' water. So it, it's really a co- very clear choice for Wisconsinites. Uh, somebody like myself is going to support policies that work, you know, competitive tax system, lower regulations, securing the border, energy independence, versus somebody who's opposed to all of those things. You know, Senator, one, one of the, the, the taglines that's emerging from the campaign is that Ron Johnson ha- has left behind the working man. And as somebody who's followed your careers, especially the, the last you know eleven plus years in office, I always find that interesting. H- have you left behind? Do you not relate to or understand that the middle class struggles? Have you really left behind the working man and woman? It's it's one of the lies, one of the distortions, maybe one of the grosser ones. I, I hear Mandela Barnes, you know, God bless his parents for working shift work. Uh, of the two Senate candidates, there's one that works shift works, and that'd be me. So, yeah, I know what it's like to work third shift and second shift. I, I, I worked my entire way through college, full time, uh, left with $7,000 in the bank. What, one week I actually put in 96 hours uh, as a shipping clerk for National School Studios. So, no, I, I know exactly what it's like uh, to work in a factory. I ran a factory for 30 years, so I can relate to people. I can relate to Wisconsinites who are struggling with 40-year high inflation, record gasoline prices, uh, rising crime. Uh, I mean, all these are, are, are issues. How about the fact that here we are in, in America in the year 2022 and we don't have enough baby formula for our infants? Again, you know, none of these things just happened. These were caused by Democrat policy, Democrat governance, and Mandela Barnes will be, let's face it, it will be a rubber stamp for all these disastrous policies. Well, well let's, let's talk about the disastrous policies. Uh, gas prices have come down a little bit, but I'm, well, I'm glad it's three sixty instead of $5. I'm, I'm not going to be celebrating until it's, it's a lot lower back where it was a few years ago. But there's no question inflation still continues to be out of control, 8%, 9%, whatever. The, the Biden administration says it's not our fault. We had nothing to do with this. This is Putin's war. That's where the problem is. D- do you buy that or... Have our policies over the last couple of years contributed to or led to the high inflation we're dealing with now? The policies absolutely caused it. You know, as Milton Friedman said, uh, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. 
And so I, I always look at three causes. The, the biggest one is just this massive amount of deficit spending. Now, I voted for the first CARES Act. You know, we, we started that debate at $750 billion, which I thought would have been adequate. Within a week, is $2.2 trillion. That was the last... One of these massive, and, and just so people know, that was at the start of was, the pandemic, that was March of, March right, of 2020. When people were things were shutting down, and the government was ordering stuff closed, and that was kind of an emergency thing to make sure that at that very beginning people could. But could every do it. time there was a new COVID relief pack act, there, there was there was like a trillion dollars left unspent from the previous ones. So I started voting no because I was concerned about inflation. I, I, I cautioned people about it right from the start. Uh, so. It was that massive level of deficit spending. And then, of course, the, the thing that really sparked it was the $1.9 trillion of partisan uh, COVID release packaging passed by the Democrats in, in early 2021. That was, that's one cause. Their war on fossil fuels. You know, the, the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline was just the first shot across the bow. They've made it more difficult. We were energy independent. We no longer are. So they purposely have driven up the price of gasoline and energy, forcing everybody into... You know, into their Green New Deal fantasy. Uh, but then the third component of that is a lot of that deficit spending has been spent, given to people, making it possible for them not to, re- to not re-enter the workforce. So you got high energy prices, high gasoline prices. You have this massive deficit spending, way too many dollars chasing even fewer goods because Wisconsin manufacturers can't hire enough people that can't meet demand, so we have even fewer goods. So that's why I call the triple whammy. So no, this was this inflation is absolutely caused by the Democrat policies. I always thought it was interesting that on the one hand, President Biden says I, essentially to the, a lot of the fossil fuel producers, I, I want to put you out of business. I want you to be gone in five or ten years. And then what, why aren't you investing money in, in new oil wells and new pipelines and stuff like that? Well, because he doesn't want to be held accountable for the energy prices that he caused. Uh, so he goes, you know, bending on, on, you know, with his hat in hand to the Saudis and to Venezuela uh, to have them pump the oil that we need to power our economy. You know, Jeff, 80% of our economy is powered by fossil fuels. That's not going to change for decades globally. It's not going to change. Uh, why do I call it a Green New Deal fantasy? Take a look at the environmental impact of for example, mining the rare earth chemicals we're going to need for the batteries. Take a look at the, you know, the energy used to produce the batteries. Uh, how unreliable solar and wind is in terms of power grid. So you need 100% backup in terms of fossil fuels anyway. So it, it is a fantasy. We, we, I'm, I'm, I'm an all-the-above energy strategy. I have no problem with that. But it has to be market-based. It also has to be reality-based. And right now, they're not, Democrats are as detached from reality as they are from the truth. Okay, to, to that point... The, the big news this week was the victory laps that the president is taking over the, we anticipate the, that the, quote-unquote, what do they call it, the Inflation Reduction Act is going to be passed. I, I know you were a no vote along with all the other Republicans. What, what do you think about that, and is it going to really reduce inflation? Well, one more Orwellian named piece of legislation. You already have major economic uh, researchers coming out saying it'll have no impact on inflation. I think, if anything, it'll have a negative impact. Uh, I'm a business guy. You increase taxes on business. You know, business, businesses look at uh, taxes as a cost. What do they do with ca- costs? They pass them along to consumers, or they don't have enough money to w- raise wages and you know benefits. So it impacts consumers. It impacts their employees. And then, of course, all the additional government spending just fuels the flames of of inflation. So I see no scenario in which is you know going to reduce inflation i think it's more likely to increase inflation we just can't afford this stuff i am seeing some reports suggesting that as sort of 
an October or close to October surprise, President Biden might finally be willing to pull the trigger on his massive student loan forgiveness. I know you don't think that's a particularly good idea. That'd be grossly unfair. I mean, look how unfair it'd be for, let's say, kids never went to college. Uh, how about kids actually paid off their student loans? And, of course, you have to understand a lot of the student loan debt is is really outstanding toward graduate students, people at the higher ends of the income spectrum. So it'd be grossly unfair. Listen, I've got all the sympathy in the world for people, kids who've been enticed to collectively incur $1.7 trillion of student loan debt, but forgiving the debt is not the solution here. What we need to do is get college costs under control and quit pushing college on everybody. I've, I've thought that was the most wrong-headed thing to tell everybody you got to get a four-year degree. They don't. But what does that tell kids that don't want to get a four-year degree, that they're some second-class citizen, that what they're going to do in life has no value? It's just incredibly wrong-headed. It's one of the reasons it's hard to find people to work in manufacturing and, and the trades. Well, those are great jobs. They're, they're great ways to realize their full human potential. We, we need to quit pushing college on everybody. You know, um, Senator, when we talk about border issues in some respects it's an abstract situation here in wisconsin as compared to like texas or arizona or whatever but i know you've been very focused on on the border and is it fair to say that it's gotten out of control during the last year and a half completely out of control i mean president obama when we were uh, apprehending about two thousand people a day called it a humanitarian crisis now it's been over seven thousand people a day over the last four or five months seven thousand people a day that doesn't even count the the known and unknown gotaways so we don't focus on the humanitarian depredations that are occurring. How do you think young women pay off their human trafficking fee? Well, they get yeah. you know, forced into sex trade. I mean, there's other human uh, uh, involuntary servitude. But look at all the deadly drugs coming across this, this country. Last year, I think it was 107,000 drug overdoses. So the, just the harm caused by the, the human trafficking and the, the out-of-control flow. But the other harm is that we are not establishing a functioning legal system. And what's so depressing about it is that we were so close having that first step. We'd pretty well stopped the flow of unaccompanied children, family units. Even single adults were down under the uh, Trump administration. That, of course, all exploded, but we need to first secure the border before we can establish a functioning legal immigration system, uh, which is w what we're going to need. You know, we're a nation of immigrants. Uh, we have a severe worker shortage. We just do. And one of the ways to cure that is with a functioning legal immigration system tied to the economy where we're not depressing American wages as we bring in uh, immigrants. Well, as long as we're talking about some of the pipe dreams that are out there, I, I, I know that there's a lot of people on the other side who simply say it's time to open the borders. You know, we, we are, as you said, we are a country of immigrants. Why, why, why don't we let thousands of people pour in on a daily basis? Because it's that illegal flow. It's those individuals that get preyed on by the human traffickers. It's, it's back of the envelope calculation last time I was down there with a briefing. It's about an $18.3 billion a year business for the, some of the most evil people on the planet. And, you know, Jeff, I can't even talk about some of the depredations I've heard about in terms of what these human traffickers do. So it's got to be a legal flow. You, you, you're not a sovereign nation if you don't have a secure border. This is completely out of control. It's, it's not good for the, the immigrants. It's not good for our nation. You seem very energized. You think so? I, no, I, I, I do. I mean, there, there, there's clearly, uh, I, I mean, there is, there is clearly, I'm not just saying that you weren't energized like, two or three years ago or whatever, but you're, you are, for anybody who wonders if you're up to this campaign, you are clearly up to this campaign. You feel very strongly about the issues. Well, again, I, this was not my preference. 
I mean, it was my, it was my preference. It was my wife's very, very, very strong preference to serve two terms and go home. But I did not anticipate the disaster that is Democrat governance. And, you know, I so hate the division. I, mean, I really do. I mean, it's just it's exhausting. Uh, we need to heal as a nation. I was on the platform when President Biden gave his inaugural address. I think eight times he said his number one goal is to unify and heal this nation. He has done, and the left has done the exact opposite. We need healing. We need to unify this nation. Because as Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand it. It, it exhibits a weak, weakened America to our adversaries. And, of course, they take advantage of it. So, no. Yeah, I've never turned my back on a problem. I, I could not turn my back on America. I couldn't just walk away. I think I'm in a position where I can even be more effective. And, by the way, I was pretty effective during my, my first couple terms. I'm the guy that made sure that 95% of American businesses got a tax cut so they can stay competitive with the big guys and survive the pandemic. You know, it's my right to try law that is saving lives. It's saving lives. And of course, our Joseph project is just a perfect demonstration project of what you need to do to help transform lives through, through work and the dignity of earning your own success. As long as you, you mentioned that the whole pass-through thing, let, let's talk about this one more time, because when, whenever I read a lot of the commentary, Ron Johnson doesn't care about the working man. Ron Johnson is just in it for the rich business people, and, and that's the vote that they cite on, on that whole pass-through thing. So what what, again, what was that all about? Because I understand it gets a little bit complex. But so, so even under Republican tax reform, all they were going to do is cut taxes for 5% of American businesses, the C-Corps. And so they structured the, the budget reconciliation number to pay for that. There's no room for anything else. And so I'm the one raising my hand, uh, reminding because I think most of my colleagues literally thought we were going to cutting business for everybody. But because I come from that world, I realize, no, 95% of American businesses are pass-throughs. They're going to be left behind. We were going to go from a, a differential of about 7.7% of higher taxes for pass-throughs to 23.8. They'd been completely uncompetitive. So I'm the guy that said, guys, I'm not going to vote for this if we can't bring some parity and, and we address 95% of American businesses. So instead of a tax deal for myself and a couple of buddies, 20 million, more than 20 million tax filers have taken advantage of this. And these are the small mom-and-pop Main Street businesses that provide all kinds of employment, all kinds of innovation. I'm the guy that recognized that. I'm the one that you know, took a lot of guff from you know, Wisconsin Talk Radio hosts. I'm, I'm sure you weren't beating up on me, but others did. I'm the ones that got the snarly phone calls from the Oval Office. Uh, for saying, no, we, we, we have to give a tax break for every American business. They, they have to have a level playing field. Um, so, no, th this is probably one of the, the worst distortions, one of the worst lies that I cut some deal for myself. Listen, when you cut taxes for everybody, you know, for every business, and you have a business, yeah, you're going to get a tax cut. Right. But so is everybody else that's going to so come So is everybody else. And, again, to me, it's, almost, it's like my crowning achievement. I mean, w when you give tax relief... For 95% of American businesses, more than 20,000, 20, 20, no, 20 million yeah. tax filers, you've done something well. And you take a look at the effect of that. Look at the economy we had before the COVID recession. That's because we made America's tax system more competitive, and I made sure that every American business could compete. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks for stopping by. I know we will chat on multiple occasions over the course of the next couple months. Enjoy the fair. <laughs> you, you as well. That's uh, Senior Senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Well, that was fun. I, and, and if that had not been scheduled, just <clears throat> Senator Johnson was out here and making the rounds, and we flagged him down and had a chance to talk a little bit. We will speak with him more um, leading up to the election season because I, I think the, the one thing that is very, very clear 
I do not believe there is a Senate race in the country where there is a more clear distinction between the the two candidates. Mandela Barnes is way, 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 way to the left of of Joe Biden. And, you know, Ron Johnson is the the conservative alternative to that. And the, the again, whether it's the defund the police or abolish ICE or. Um, the, the whole Green New Deal and things like that. There, there are very, very clear choices that Wisconsin voters have, and I'm going to use my opportunity on this program to make sure that people understand what those different choices are. The coaches, the athletes, the volunteers, and, of course, the joy that comes with it all. That's what you get with the Special Olympics Wisconsin. Join Vince Vetrano as he leads our next WTMJ Cares effort on August 22nd. You can bid on items that benefit Special Olympics Wisconsin. Just text the word CARES to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line to get a link to the great items that will be available. WTMJ Cares is sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. Dave Gruber was walking by uh, just yesterday. As a matter of fact, I saw him. We were we were classmates at Marquette Law School. I think I was a year ahead of him, but um, always... Always glad to see all this good stuff that Gruber Law Offices does for the community. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. So very glad to have you with us. Um, it's, it's always interesting when you do things like that. Lot, lots of feedback, lots of texters, about a half dozen to a dozen people saying, Jeff, you need to run for governor. And if my wife is listening, she'll be saying, no, he doesn't need to do that. A number of people appreciate the, the Rod Johnson interview. One guy saying, oh, I can't believe that that's, you had that conversation. You need to retire, to which my response was, well, I acknowledge that I'm at the point in my career where I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, but now I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon. All right, we've got a great giveaway coming up, and in the next half hour, I want to talk about the convention center. Gee, it costs more than we thought. And Anthony Fauci doesn't understand why not, why everybody doesn't agree with him. We're going to talk about all that and a lot more. Broadcasting live from the 2022 Wisconsin State Fair. High inflation, recession threats, the parade of bad news. It's enough to make you lose sleep. It's no secret many Americans are worried about the state of the economy. Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management along with WTMJ's John Mercure for Navigating the Markets, a special webinar presentation on Wednesday, August 24th at 11 a.m. It's a one-hour 30,000-foot view of current market trends with a discussion of what to expect for the rest of the year. Sign up at WTMJ.com. Navigating the markets from Annex Wealth Management and 620 WTMJ. One of our texters says, well, are you going to have Mandela Barnes on? I, I, I put it out there. Mandela Barnes wants to come on this show. Mandela Barnes is welcome to come on this show. Now, I want to be honest here. I, I think Mandela Barnes is uniquely unqualified to be a U.S. senator. I think his positions are just extreme, ultimate and extreme in the ultimate. But if he wants to come on and and debate defunding the police and the Green New Deal and abolishing ICE and the support for no cash bail, for a limited cash bail, he wants to come on the program and and talk about all that stuff. I am more than willing to have him come on and talk about the stuff, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that particular situation. Okay, Uh, I said in the lead-in, it's about time, and, and it is. The breaking news story is that Michael Gableman, former Supreme Court Justice, who was tasked with conducting a 2020 election review, um, he has now been discharged. Uh, the Speaker of the Assembly, Robin Voss, says, okay, this is not going anywhere, and the 14-month probe has ended. Um, it's 
I've said this before, and I'll use this as an opportunity to say it one more time, that this was this was long overdue. I the 2020 election. And again, I'll try my best to explain how I, I see this. Was the 2020 election a project, a, a product of you know, forgery or fraud? And, and the answer to me is no. There, there's been no evidence turned up. When I and I've said this before, when when I think about fraud, I, I think about you know Richard Daly in Chicago or dead people voting, or are we mysteriously finding ballots for non-existent people? And that 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 did not happen. What you had in Wisconsin in 2020 is you had interpretations by various election clerks of of the law and and some interpreted the law one way some interpreted the law the other way and it was designed to what my phrase was sort of juice voter turnout and they used kind of covid as an excuse to do it and and yes it ended up especially in areas like dane county and milwaukee and in racine they, they juiced voter turnout in the larger democratic areas i don't see that as a product of fraud i see it as a product of confusion over election laws and some of those laws still again continue to be you know in question we talked yesterday about the fact that you know racine has, has an ice cream truck it's a mobile voting thing that that you don't want to come to the polls we'll take the polls to you and so they use this mobile voting truck to drive into areas where they're highly concentrated with you know one type of voter that is democrat voters and allow people to vote at these at these at these trucks at this truck um, you don't have that in Republican areas of the state. And I firmly believe that everybody in the state of Wisconsin should have equal access to, to voting. And that's not how this is all turned out. But do I think there was a product of fraud? The, the answer is is no. Do I think that we have to make clear what the laws are on some things? Like, can you have um, the drop boxes or not? Yes, I, I think we clearly need to do that. But this Gableman investigation just... To me, it started going down rabbit holes. There, there was a report that was issued, gosh, over six months ago, I believe, by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, who that that kind of set forth all the different questionable practices that were used during the 2020 election. Or and when I say questionable, I'm not even saying it's necessarily fraudulent. I'm just saying these are questionable things that you know. Was it appropriate under state law? Was it not appropriate under state law? And, and there are questions about it, hence the term questionable, which is different than fraud. Gableman, for whatever reason, decided to expand on that and kind of, again, go down the, these different rabbit holes, including looking at the were there voting machines that ended up, you know, you voted for Trump and it cast a vote for Biden. I mean, some of these just weird rabbit holes that were there. And then there was a lot of obsession on the 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 Zuckerbucks, the left-leaning voter organizations that funneled millions of dollars into largely Democratic cities in the state of Wisconsin to help, again, juice voter turnout in their area. That's where Racine got the money to go buy this mobile voter ban, a van and things like that, where similar amounts of money did not go into you know other communities across the state. I don't think that there was ever any evidence that, that was illegal. Is Should it be illegal? Well, that's a different conversation. But was it illegal? No. But it did, in fact, happen. But anyhow, Gableman got obsessed with all this. And then then the investigation became more about Michael Gableman than it did about, you know, other things. And we got into all these fights about subpoenaing election clerks and things like that. Bottom line is this investigation, to the extent it ever needed to start, it, it should have ended months ago. And I think this is I think it is good news that um, we're, we're now you know moving on. And I, I think. 
My advice to everybody, particularly my friends on the Republican side of the aisle, is it's time now to start concentrating on the issues that I think really move the needle for the majority of voters in Wisconsin, which are things like we were just talking about with Ron Johnson, like the economy and, and like inflation and like job security and crime. That's that's what I think is affecting the, the day-to-day person. That's what the conversation is at, at the dinner tables. And I think, you know, the, t- the party and the candidates that win the election upcoming in November are going to be the ones that do the best job of connecting with the voters on that particular issue. All right. This is really, really cool. And I've been looking forward to this. And I want to say a real special thank you to Sister Bay Furniture. The Hyannis Adirondack Rocker offers exceptional comfort with its contoured back and seat. It is suitable for all seasons and climates. I love them. It stands up to the rain, the wind, and the salt spray. Mold and mildew resistant utilizes marine-grade stainless steel hardware for longer outdoor use. Okay, so these are really cool Adirondack chairs. And to me, there is nothing that says summer in Wisconsin better than... A cold adult beverage and an Adirondack chair and sitting out and and looking out at your backyard or looking out at a a body of water and enjoying the company of your family and your friends. These, These are really, really great. And courtesy, again, of Sister Bay Furniture, I have two Hyannis rocking chairs in Driftwood to give away. Two Hyannis rocking chairs in Driftwood from Sister Bay Furniture to give away. I wish I could win them. But they tell me I can't. So, caller number 12. Caller number 12 at 855-616-1620 wins our two Hyannis rocking chairs in Driftwood from Sister Bay Furniture. And if you want to invite me over to have a beer with you, I'm there. Caller number 12. We have a winner of our two Adirondack chairs. That is just that is just such a cool deal. I, I if I if I recall correctly, I think we used to have them, you know, outside our, our studios, at least in years past. They they weren't here this year, but we want to thank Sister Bay Furniture. These Hyannis Adirondack rockers are just tremendous in driftwood and we appreciate it. What a great giveaway. I was so excited when they said they were going to be able to do that. Wisconsin's radio station, if you haven't figured this out already, um, is broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair when the WTMJ team isn't hard at work in the mobile studio. Um, people are grabbing a bite to eat at Major Goolsby's Heartland, which is roca- located right across from where I'm sitting right now in the Cream Puff Pavilion, or at Major Goolsby's downtown, dangerously close to the Deer District. WTMJ and Major Goolsby's, come see us at the fair. I love that partnership because, as I have as I have said, this shows how long Major Goolsby's has been around. The first... The first legal drink that I was able to purchase. Now, I'm, I'm not going to be self-righteous and say that I did not purchase a, an adult beverage maybe before I was legally able to do it. And the drinking age was 18 back when I turned 18. But the first beer I was legally able to buy was the afternoon of my birthday at Major Goolsby's downtown. So I've always had a fond spot in my fond spot in my heart for that. Hey, some, some sort of depressing news. Uh, again, it's a... It's this has been a tough year for for celebrities, and, and whether it's from the world of music or the world of movies or whatever, you have a number of celebrities that have been passing away. And it seems I know you get to a certain age where my gosh, I mean, I can't believe that person was that old or or whatever. And I guess it's no surprise when you see people who are in their eighties and their nineties who end up you know passing away. You never anticipate it, but that this is this is not that story. Anne Heche, who, um. 
I, I, she was a soap opera actress. She was on Another World. Um, she, I don't know which movie she would be best known for, but she played, you know, Harrison Ford's love interest in Six Days, Seven Nights, which I thought was a very, very, you know, entertaining kind of action movie. I, I don't mean to, and then she was did a lot of did a lot of television a, as well, um, and and I don't mean to, um, I don't know, kind of lump her her and. To sort of like misstate or diminish her accomplishments as an actress, but I, I think most people perhaps know knew her. She was Ellen uh, DeGeneres' girlfriend for a number of years, and they, they used to, to see them out in, in public and things like that. You might have seen the story about a week or so ago. She was critically injured when the car she was driving crashed into a, a home. Um, in, in Los Angeles, and it was one of these deals where she hit something and then kept going in the car. Um, the reports are that she, and then the car caught on fire, and there were all these films about how her, she was being taken out of it. Um, the crash started a fire that took 59 firefighters more than an hour to extinguish. She was the only person in the car. Um, she had not regained consciousness, I guess, and shortly after the accident. Um, there are reports out there that um, there might have been drugs that were in her system at the time. But in any event, um, the, the reports that are coming out now is that she suffered a severe anoxic brain injury. Um, and the, the family is now starting to say that she is not expected to survive after the crash. And, and if, if you saw if you saw that crash and you saw the fact that she was in a Mini Cooper and the thing catches on fire and you see the damage and stuff, it, it's probably, it's very unfortunate, but perhaps not a, a surprise. The other uh, passing of note that I wanted to comment on is, is from the world of, of literature. David McCullough, who was just an outstanding and prolific biographer, um, he's, prob- he's won Pulitzer Prizes for... Truman, you know, his, his biography of Harry Truman that, that continues to be, like, again, the, 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 the gold standard for biographies. And um, Truman was in 1992, and also then for John Adams. And his, his biography of John Adams was the basis for that HBO program that they did on John Adams a number of years back. But um, it, it, I've read both of those, and they are just absolutely outstanding. And then he, he did other... He did other biographies as well. He did wrote one called Morning on Horseback about uh, Theodore Roosevelt when he was a young man, The Path Between the Seas, the creation of the Panama Canal. The thing that I, I think, and you're, you're talking to somebody who reads a, a lot, and, and I, I, love, I love biographies, I, I love historical fiction, I love silly stuff from time to time. Um, it's just I, I just, I have a very eclectic interest in literature and things like that. And the thing about McCullough that I, I think really set him apart from a lot of biographers is he, he wrote, he, his work was very accessible. Sometimes you sit down with these biographies and they're just they're just so dense or they're so obscure or the, the style of writing is so stylized or stilted or whatever that you really have to work to kind of get through them. That McCullough McCullough had a gift of writing in that regard, and um, he, he will certainly be missed. He was, what, was 80, 89 years old, I think, when he passed away. So, and, and I, don't mean to, I don't mean to bury Anne Heche prematurely, uh, but the, the reports are that her family says they do not expect that she is going to survive. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
So very glad to have you with us. We're winding down. I'm winding down my broadcast responsibilities to Wisconsin State Fair. Only two days this year because we were in Alaska on our listener trip. I, I always, I just, again, this has been the 25th year. Now, we took one year off, but otherwise, you know, 25 years here at WTMJ broadcasting live from the State Fair. And I just, I just love it. Stuff changes, but then a lot of stuff stays the same. I was just thinking back to memories. Right next door to where I work, there's the Budweiser Pavilion. And, and one of the big performers there always used to be a guy named Tom Green, who was a classically trained opera singer. But he, he made, made his money, um, well, as an Elvis impersonator. And we... Um, we, he would he would come over in, in full Elvis regalia a lot of times on on the last day that he was performing here in the last show day. He passed away at the age of fifty. Gosh, that was that was fifteen years ago. Hard, hardly seems possible. But I always I can't walk by the Budweiser Pavilion without thinking of of, of Tom Green and the Elvis show and what a what just a, a great guy he was. Hey, I want to call your attention to to my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Um, one of the things that that's so that I enjoy about the State Fair a lot, like I say, is just, just you, you have this, this spontaneous stuff, and like Ron Johnson walking by and us able to get him on the air. But um, yesterday, I I was admittedly carrying on about the disgrace that is the Northridge Mall that continues to now. It, it should have been torn down years ago. It, it would have been torn down, except you have two Wisconsin appellate court judges that got guppied in on what I think was a ridiculous argument. But now you've had four arson fires in the last three weeks. They th- I my information is it's kids from like the surrounding area that are coming in and setting these things on fire. But you know, we we were talking about it yesterday, and we had a very impassioned call from um, Aaron Lipsky, who's the fire chief in Milwaukee, who was pointing out that some of his his people are going to die because of this, and why it's why they, they've got to tear it down. They got to tear it down like today. And I understand there's a hearing on Monday, but if you want to hear that interview with the fire chief, I, I have it posted. It's on our podcast page, but it's also up on my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner six twenty. All right. The Wisconsin State Fair is here, bringing you the sights and sounds live from the fair. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Okay, so now there's reports about the Trump search warrant. And by the way, as I have been saying, and I think lots of people in the media have been missing, the the Justice Department does not appear appear to be prepared to open up and reveal the search warrant affidavit, which, as I've been explaining over the last 24 hours, <clears throat> when you get a search warrant, there's there's the, the search warrant itself, which is typically like a one-page cover sheet that, that says, and it's just in general terms, it says you're authorized to search these premises, and this is the time limit you have, and these are the documents that you're allowed to look for. This is your, this is what you're allowed to look for. Attached to that is, is an affidavit that details the the probable cause that you have to get the search warrant and and that's that's what you really need to see to determine what exactly are people looking for and why are they looking for it. I, I don't believe, and I, I think the Attorney General was really sort of clever, maybe too clever by half yesterday, when he was saying, okay, well, we're, we're going to move to unseal the warrant. But he wasn't referring to the affidavit. So it's really very, very difficult to assess the finding of the belief about probable cause or what the circumstances were, unless you actually look at the affidavit. And I don't think that that's going to be made public. But here's what the Wall Street Journal is saying. FBI agents who searched former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home Monday removed 11 sets of classified documents, including some marked as top secret and meant to be available in special government facilities, according to documents reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. The federal... 
it is kind of interesting how the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and other news outlets get this. I guess these are supposed to be under seal and stuff, but somehow there's somebody that's leaking the information to them. The Federal Bureau of Investigation agents took around 20 boxes of items, binders of photos, a handwritten note, and an executive grant of clemency from Mr. Trump's ally, Roger Stone. Tough to understand why that would be a classified document. A list of items removed from the property shows. Also included in the list was information about the president of France, according to the three-page list. The list is contained in a seven-page document that includes the warrant to search the premises. Again, that's the warrant. It's not the affidavit. The list references to one set of documents marked various classified TSSI documents, an abbreviation that refers to top secret. It also says agents collected four sets of top secret documents, three sets of secret documents, and three sets of confidential documents. The list did not provide any more details about the substance of the documents. Mr. Trump's lawyers argue that the former president used his authority to declassify the material before he left office. While the president has the power to declassify documents, there are regulations that lay out a process for doing so. The Biden administration, this is a quotation, is in obvious damage control after their botched raid where they seized the president's picture books, a handwritten note, and declassified documents, Trump's spokesman said. The raid of President Trump's home was not just unprecedented, but unnecessary. So, um, I, I guess again, time will tell. Former president and his team don't have the affidavit, which would provide more detail about their investigation. According to people familiar with the, prof- the process, the affidavit would explain what evidence, including witnesses, the government had collected, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, that's the point that I, I was making, and I think Merritt Garland was intentionally obscuring yesterday when he talked about transparency and we want to make all this stuff available. Well, and, until you have access to the affidavit itself, you don't. Re- there's no way you can make that evaluation. And I think his implication yesterday was, oh, this is all going to come, come out, and that hasn't been the case. Again, I, I think you sort of have to wait to determine this, and it will be interesting to see why are you taking, like, pictures of an order of executive clemency for Roger Stone and and things like that and why are you taking pictures and stuff like that but it 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 will again will time will ultimately tell on this but for anybody who thought you'd get all the information all the details today just was not going to happen all right quiet quitting you ever heard the term quiet quitting Well, well here's this this is this is Apparently, this has been a phrase that is generating millions of reviews on TikTok. So when I say TikTok, we know we're kind of talking about Generation Z and whatever. So we all know what quitting, quitting your job. Hey, boss, I'm done. I'm quitting. See you later. Two weeks notice or I'm out the door. Okay, quiet quitting is different. Quiet quitting is where young professionals reject the idea of going above and beyond in their careers, labeling their lesser enthusiasm of as a form of quitting. It isn't about getting fired. It isn't about getting off the company payroll. As a matter of fact, the, the idea is to stay on it, but rather it's to concentrate on things that you do outside of the, the office. Now, this is this is really interesting to me because... Certainly for my generation, for us boomers, and I think for at least several of the generations that followed us, that this was just not the way you, you went uh, about things. I, I, when I, I talk to people who 
for example, are starting in this industry, and, and they're wondering, okay, how do you get established as a talk show host or, or whatever? One one of the, the pieces of advice that I give them is I said, when you get opportunities, you you say yes until you don't have to say yes. They said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, okay. If you're asked to, if you're asked to come in and and you know fill in and do a show on Sunday night, you, you say yes. If you're asked to come in on Saturday morning and do a show, you you say yes. If you're invited to give presentations to Elks clubs and Kiwanis clubs and all the other stuff, you you say yes. And because that's how you get established in a career, you you take those those steps above and beyond. You say yes. You make yourself valuable. You indicate that you know you're you're." sort of you're committed to this and then there will be a point of time where if you get yourself established then you don't have to say yes to everything then you can kind of be a little bit picky and say oh, I, I, I'm going to pass on this or I'm going to pass on that and I don't know when that comes in in your career but you say yes until you don't have to say yes quiet quitting is the exact opposite of that it's like entering the, the generation uh, the, the generation that's entering the workforce now and they're saying well you know the job's just not important that important to us we don't stress about succeeding what we want to do is we want to all right say that we're, we're really not engaged we're going to show up to work but our plan is to do the minimum required and and not much else okay our number is 855-616-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line i, I guess i find this entire thing to be just completely and totally fascinating and completely and totally contrary to, to any advice that I would give to somebody who was starting out a career, whether it was law or broadcasting. Those are the two things I did in my life. But, but it, 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 it doesn't matter. I don't care whether you're selling insurance or you're selling cars or whatever. The, the idea that, okay, you're going to go in and your goal is going to be to do the minimum you possibly can to get paid, to not get fired, and instead you're going to concentrate on all the other stuff that, that life has to offer. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I have a two-pronged question. First of all, do you think this quiet quitting is really something that's going on among younger generations? And secondly, is it a pathway to long-term success? WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin's radio station is moving to the avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Follow our progress all summer long as we embark on a journey to our new home. The avenue is vibrant, exciting. Plus, you'll be able to come by and see us. WTMJ's move to the avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interiors, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. Yeah, our our um, non on air staff, our non what we call the non the I suppose I'm on the content team. Everybody else is moving, I think, the end of next week or something like that. I know that people were going down today and they were getting tours and stuff. I don't get to do any of that because, they, for some reason, they always schedule the tours like at noon. And it's kind of like, well, I, I've got a noontime radio show to do, but I'm sure I will see it in the appropriate time. But I, I was down there a couple of weeks ago, and the studios are spectacular. And if you're downtown and you're going into the food hall, you can come by and watch us work. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage. Talk and text line. Not taking your job, this is the Wall Street Journal today, not taking your job too seriously has a new name, quiet quitting. 
The phrase is generating millions of views on TikTok as some young professionals reject the idea of going above and beyond in their careers, labeling their lesser enthusiasm a form of quitting. It isn't about getting off the company payroll, these employees say. The idea, the fact is, the idea is to stay on it, but to focus your time on things that you do outside of the office. In other words, do whatever the minimum is that you need to get by, and then continue to collect your paycheck and things like that. And I guess I, I find what I, what's really struck me about this is it's just so very different than the, the way at least previous generations were told, which is, like I was saying earlier, you know, come in when, when you pick up the extra duties, you know, say yes, say yes, say yes to things until you don't have to say yes any, anymore, but establish yourself like that. And I, I guess is that is this idea of quiet quitting, doing the minimum necessary, I, I understand the work-life balance, but, you know, if you're a 25-year-old professional, you know, starting off in a career, is that really the, the best way to get established? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, the new work attitude, or lack thereof, exactly describes my four adult children in their 30s. They're all, they all work in their four distinct professions, just as required to earn what they need to live their lives outside of work, doing exactly what they want, when they were, want, and with whom they want. They have little interest in acquiring things or wealth, but instead on just funding the travel and entertaining experiences they crave. That's not how they were raised, but it seems typical of their peers. And I guess, you know, I, I'm not really condemning this because if if that's... If if that's your your approach, and believe me, I I appreciate work life balance, and and as you get older, you realize that there's there's a time where okay, for example, the time you have remaining becomes more important than money, you know, thing, things like that. But I'm just see at the start of my career, I, I just and most of my peers that were okay, here's what we're going to do at least till we get established, and yeah, that does that mean we're going to work sixty hour weeks if we have to? Yeah, and does that mean we're going to go above and beyond? Yeah, that's just that's just what was kind of ingrained in you, and I guess I, I'm listening to this list, the, the texter's description of it. And I'm thinking, okay, I guess that's that's not bad if you're 25 or 26 years old and you're just kind of working to figure out how you're going to fund your next vacation. Well, that that. You know, that's, that sounds cool. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, this all sounds well and good until you want uh, a raise or a letter of recommendation, and you have very little uh, to show of it. Um, yes, um, you know, no question about it. Jeff, what you've described sounds like the standard government job. Oof. <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't know that. Jeff, it's definitely happening. It's a shame. It's a new world, I guess. I'm not defending it, um, but one of the things brought up is the, you know, employer doesn't give two weeks on notice on firing you, so why should the employee give one? Jeff, isn't that term, quiet quitting, just referred to as being lazy, doing just enough to get by? I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, is it? Is that lazy, or is this just kind of the the attitude that okay, the, these are the job requirements, and, and this is this is what the expectations are, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to work to those expectations, but don't expect me to be taking work home. Don't expect me to be you know stressing about you know what goes on nine to five when I'm I'm home at eight o'clock at night. I mean that's there there is that element of this as well. Jeff, I work in the medical field. Just good enough is dangerous. I think most of America, when it comes to their health care, wants excellent. 
Yeah, that's me too. Jeff, I hope the quiet quitters don't expect a raise either. Well, I think there's probably an element of that. Let's talk to Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my phone call on this topic. No, sure. the, the reason why, because I'm a Generation Xer, right? And the reason why you're the reason why you're seeing this phenomenon is because, like, Generation Xers and below, all right, they're not seeing chances for upward opportunities for upward mobility because the baby boomers are are not leaving the workforce. So it's all us, boom, our, us boomers are. Boomers are <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the idea is, aren't retiring? Well, yeah, okay, but all right. So you're, uh, see, I'm having trouble with that. If you're, let's say, you're in your late twenties or early thirties at at a job, all right, you're you're in that, you're you're starting out, you're in your first couple years of your career. I find it difficult to believe, Scott, that people are saying, okay, I'm going to just do enough to get by because there's some, you know, fifty-five-year-old guy who might work for another, you know, eight or nine years. I. I, it, is it really the opportunity that there's no upward mobility, or is it just a lifestyle choice? It's, it, it, it's not the 55-year-old guy. It's the 65-year-old guys who are hanging, who are hang, who are hanging in, the, in the workforce. These are, I mean, these are people like, 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 like my parents, all right? As soon as they hit 62, I mean, they called it a career, all right? right. But you have all these other baby boomers they're just, they're just not leaving the workforce i mean i mean like myself personally i mean i go above and beyond and i do what i need to do and whatever whatever to, right. to um, um to excel but i mean i hear com i mean but i hear comments from coworkers who are younger than mine whatever from my industry and other industries that make this very point whatever that it's like there's no possibility for upward mobility here because these, because the baby hmm. boomers just are not exiting the workforce well, Scott, thanks for the call. Okay, that, that that's a vote to put those baby boomers on that uh, on the ice flow and kind of push you out into the. I you know I mean I see I guess I I just I don't. All right, I, maybe maybe I'm just kind of related. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, when I was 25 or 26 or 27, starting off as a federal prosecutor and starting my career in law, I I, I aspired to be like the, those people that have been doing this for 20 or 25 years, and I thought, you know, if I work really hard, wouldn't that be cool to be in that position where I'm getting to, to handle these type of cases and things like that? It, it was, gee, I, I don't, because I, I figured there would be a natural progression. I was just, you had to be willing to wait your turn. Maybe that's what people don't want to do anymore. Kathy in Waukesha. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. On the topic that you're talking about, I've been retired seven years. And back then, the young people coming in, if you ask them to do something, you would get a a deer-in-the-headlight stare, and they would say, well, that's not in my job description. And they would not vary from that job description. It's like they didn't understand that, um, you know, it, it's got to kind of come from your heart or your soul or you're a good person or you're kind of you just want to help out. It's like they were just flat out, no, it's not in my job description, and that was it. I mean, yeah. you just did it yourself. <laughs> you didn't even try to argue with that because they were given that and apparently were told, you know, this is it, and that's just yeah. how they followed it. Kathy, thanks, thanks so for calling. I don't see I, that it's any different. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, yeah. No. I. Well. I, I. I'm sure some of this stuff is always going on. I, and I, I appreciate the phenomena. And I understand it's a big deal on TikTok. I, I go back to my advice. If you come to me for career advice, if you're starting out as an attorney or you're starting out and you want to get in the broadcasting field, quiet quitting notwithstanding, my advice is going to be the same, which is. 
Do everything you can to learn as much as you can about the profession you are choosing. Do everything you can to try to establish your value to your employer, because even if your employer doesn't appreciate it, there will be somebody else down the line that will appreciate it. And, you know, say yes until you don't have to say yes anymore. Uh, Quiet quitting. I, I get it. You know, I understand, like, taking your retirement a little bit of a t- at a time, but I'm not sure I still see that the way, at least the way if you're looking for success in your profession. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Well, like the big voice guy says... It's Pop Culture Corner time. This is when we just stop talking about all the stuff that's going on in the world and kind of ease into the good weekend. Wagner's Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza and, as is always the case, um, exclusively in the discretion of my producer, Charlie, back at Radio City. One of our callers today will win a Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that four times quickly. Um, It's a... Sir, it's coupons good for a couple of free Palermo's pizzas and this really cool pizza cutter that I wish I had one and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So um, it's exclusively in, in Charlie's discretion. So be nice to him and maybe you will be the award winner. All right. On Pop Culture Corner, if you're new to this feature, sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes television, sometimes books, um, sometimes sports, sometimes food. It just kind of depends on something that occurred during the week that has tickled my fancy or I think might be interesting and is and this week it centers around what well, starts with the, the passing of Olivia Newton John Olivia Newton John for people who, who do not remember hadn't heard she passed away this week at the age of 73 she had been battling breast cancer for the better part of 30 years I mean, she was diagnosed 30 years ago and she had overcome it and then they announced a couple years ago that it had come back and it had metastasized in her spine and cancer just just sucks there, there's no question about it but at the age of 73 Elizabeth John has passed away now she was very, very famous for a number of things. Um, she was, of course, uh, very, very well known for the, her this various songs that she had come out with. You know, over time, she'd won a number of Grammy awards. For her first one was in 1974. I honestly love you. Um, that was one of the big ones that was out there. And then, you know, as, as she morphed into the, the disco age, she had a number of of hits that. Um, there as well. But she is probably, forget probably, she is probably best known and forever immortalized by her role in the 1978 movie Grease with John Travolta, and she played the, the, the good girl. She was, she was Sandy, and, you know, um, I think for many of us of a certain age, the, the last couple scenes in Grease where she goes from, like, a Bobby Soxer to dressed in the really tight black leather with the big hair and stuff, that was one where you said, oh, that's a different side of Olivia Newton-John that you hadn't seen. And you have all the, the great songs that are out there, like You're the One That I Want, and um, Grease was just... Just a huge success. And as a matter of fact, there's probably not a time. My guess is this weekend, if you go home and you kind of channel surf, you will find some movie channel somewhere that is showing Grease. It, it, it's one of those movies that, that retains 
it, its interest, despite the fact that it's, well, you know, 30, 40 years, years old. And part of that is, I think, the, the performances of the various actors, but certainly uh, Olivia Newton-John, who I think in many respects just absolutely steals the show. I think you can make an argument that Grease is one of the greatest movie musicals ever. So in kind of recognition of her passing and recognition of her role in, in Greece, I thought for Pop Culture Corner this afternoon, we talk about movie musicals. And, and my question to you is, what is the best of all time? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The best movie musical of all time. If it's not Greece, what is it? We'll back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Okay, Olivia Newton-John was an incredible entertainer. Great voice. She had lots of top ten hits, lots of number one hits. But let, let's face it, for for most audiences, particularly in, in Wisconsin and in this country, she's going to be most remembered for a 1978 role in Greece. I mean, that, that's just the reality. It is a performance for the ages, and I think she is one of the reasons that makes Greece one of the best movie musicals of all time. Olivia Newton-John passed away this week at the age of 73. Uh, I'm asking the question, what's the best movie musical? Musical ever. Let's start with Tim in Random Lake. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hello. Hi, Tim. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, okay. I, I just chose Greece because I was a teenager at that time. All my siblings are older, so they were kind of greasers back, kind of fit into that movie theme. Uh-huh. And I guess... I went to the movie three times. It really just did it for me. She was gorgeous, and I thought that the music was great. And I guess the close second would be the music band, but that goes back a few more years. No, thanks for calling. Well, Grease is, is certainly a timeless one. The interesting thing about the movie Grease is it, it's a it's a very clean. Di- if you ever see the original play Grease, it, it's very very different. It, it's a much it's a much edgier sort of sort of the play is much edgier than the movie. The movie they clearly uh, softened it a little bit to have a broader appeal, but I don't care. It still works really well. Cheryl in uh, Cheryl in New Berlin. Cheryl, you're on WTMJ. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. I'm aging myself, but my choice would be The Sound of Music. You're not aging yourself. That is a timeless, that is a timeless uh, movie. It is. It's a classic, and I loved, loved, loved it. And watch it every time it's on TV, I watch it again. So love Julie Andrews, and it was just a a great movie, very wholesome, very uh, true story, loved it. Now, thanks for the call, I, I, Cheryl. I appreciate it. Um, when we did uh, these, all, these kind of blur, but when we did our, our river cruise, and I, I should remember this, I, I think it was when we did the Rhine River cruise a couple years back, um, and, and one of the places we stopped in in Austria, it was like the Sound of Music Day, and we visited some of the sites where they, they actually filmed the Sound of Music, and then some of the authentic sites where you know the Sound of Music stuff really happened. And I remember being in the, we were in the church where. The, the Julie Andrews character gets married um, to the Christopher Plummer carrier. A character, and every, everybody's taking pictures and stuff, and you kind of wanted to go up in the altar, and we got to be Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews and things like that. But if you ever get a chance to do that, do it. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Karen, Karen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hi, uh, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I was going to echo yes, your previous caller with the sound of music. That's one of my all-time favorites. I love the Von Trapp kids that were singing, and if Julie Andrews is just a classic. What's your favorite song? Uh, the Sound of Music song. Yeah, I, I don't know, know it, what the title is, but I think... no, the the hills are alive with the Sound of Music. No, that that yeah, you know, it, it's yeah, always, yeah. It's, as I was asking you that question, I was thinking, okay, if the guy on the radio had asked me that, what would I have said? And I'd say the sound of music, too. I, I agree with you. Thanks for the call, Karen. I appreciate it. It's, and, and, again, it's it's just it's one of those sort of feel-good movies that, that, that it just I, it never gets old. Let's talk to Jane. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. My pick is Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Um, that you're now you're talking about the movie, right? Yes. Yeah, I I um you know that my late wife that was her favorite. We I she probably went and saw the the stage performance of that. I, I if if she saw it ten times, you know, on Broadway and on other things, it that that is it is a that musical is absolutely spectacular. There's no question about it. Oh, I certainly agree with you, and we've seen it on stage. We've seen the movie. We've got the soundtrack. We thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it and love it. Yeah. Uh, Well, I will tell you something, Jane, and Bayside, you are the winner of our Palermo's prize package for today. So thanks for participating, and you can have a pizza next time you watch the – have a pizza on me the next time you watch the uh, Sound of Music. I'm a a fan of the opera. Well, thank okay. you so kindly, Jeff, and you have a wonderful weekend, and I'm so excited. Okay, well, there you go. Thanks a lot. That's that. It's it's a pizza cut and a couple pizzas, but that's great. It it all works for me. Um, let's see, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Bill in Milwaukee. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I love an American in Paris. And oh, Gene uh, Kelly, Gene Kelly Leslie, Leslie Caron, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it's yeah, interesting. I, I just love that movie. Yeah, no, thanks for call, Bill. That, that's yeah. that's a, perhaps a little bit more obscure, a little bit older one. But, yeah, I would say that. Um, you know, it's funny. We're, we're talking about Julie Andrews and the sound of music. So I have a couple texters, but no no callers mentioning Mary Poppins, which I just think is a what, another great one. You can't go wrong with anything with Julie Andrews. Um, 855-616-1620. Let's see. Let's take a couple texts here. Um, West Side Story or The King and I. Can't argue with that. My favorite musical is Dirty Dancing. There you go. White Christmas for me. Jeff singing in the rain with Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds in her debut. That that was her debut, actually. And Donald O'Connor. Great songs, great, excellent dance routines. I couldn't agree more. I, I love singing in the rain is one that I absolutely love, and I watch it every chance I get. Jeff, how about West Side Story? Yes, especially the original. The remake didn't do very much for me, but uh, West Side Story can't go wrong. Jeff, for me, Dick Van Dyke, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Jeff, Purple Rain with Prince. Jeff, for me, it's got to be Grease. Here's one. Chris in Hartford mentions, how can you not talk about Mamma Mia? Well, you've got that point. That's that's uh, outstanding as well. Mary says it's the original South Pacific for me. A number of people are voting for uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Truly innovative, um, even a poked a little fun of itself with lyrics that were timely and yet reflective of Christian history. You know, it, it's funny you should mention it because I, I watched that movie, oh, 
uh, I'd say a couple weeks ago, it was before we left for Alaska. But I, I had forgot, I, I'm very, very familiar with the, the record. And I, I remembered the songs and stuff, but it had been a while since I had seen the movie. And I actually watched the movie, and I thought it, it held up very, very well. Jeff, for me, Grease is right up there, but it's hard for me not to include the sound of music. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that that's there as well. 855-616-1620. See, Troy in Door County. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. There sure is a lot of good uh, uh, musicals when you listen to it. But for me, it was uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Oh, yeah. The, the Jersey Boys, the movie. Yeah. Yep. Love absolutely. It. Love it. Love it. No, no th- thanks for calling. Yeah, the, the Jersey Boys is, is absolutely outstanding. I won a trivia contest about a week ago with the answer to the, the, the Jersey Boys. So that worked out well. Let us talk to, let's see, Joe in South Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing, Jeff? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Okay, what's your favorite? What's the best movie musical of all time? I don't know if it's the best music movie of all time, but the one that came to my mind was uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Let's do the time warp again. Absolutely. It's a step to the left. Yeah, it's absolutely. a jump to the right. Did you see that at one of the late night theaters? Did, did you see it? Did you, did you see it on the big screen and I stuff? Did. Yeah, I, oh, I, yeah. I did too. I threw some rice and squirted squirt guns and yep, yep. I, you know, I had I had no idea, Joe, of what I was walking into. It, it's one night. This has got to be 1970, whatever. And there's a bunch of us. And one of our friends says the Oriental Theater was playing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I had never heard of it. Didn't this is before the internet? Didn't know what it was. Walk into this thing, and it, it's it's a midnight movie. And so, and then there's all these these guys that are dressed up in drag, you know. And it, then it's then there are people throwing rice, and there's all this stuff. I had no idea what the you know what I had walked into. But the music, I I, I got. <laughs> To admit i didn't get it the first couple times but now i get it and i agree there's some great tunes in there cool yeah. yep Th- yeah, th- thanks for calling with uh, jerry oh. taft oh jerry taft formerly of channel 12 thanks for calling it, it's you know it it's no and I, i'm kind of with joe I, I don't think i i'd put it down as the greatest movie musical of all time but there, there's no doubt about it you see the rocky horror picture show in the right time with the right people and stuff and it it does um well, it certainly it is memorable, if nothing else. Okay, so the the bottom line is that this weekend it's going to be a nice weekend. But you know, if you're thinking about a Olivia Newton John and one of those musicals comes on, or it's Grease or something, just you know, think back on your favorite movie musicals. All right, this has been Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza. I'm winding up my time at the Wisconsin State Fair.